0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Page
1: 791 And he's using the analogy of To explain the idea of Shekhinah, the idea of God's presence. God makes Himself manifest. He uses the analogy, the human analogy, just like within the human soul. We know Hashem from our own personal experience. Just like the human soul, where does the soul first manifest itself? In the brain. That's where the soul is concentrated. The life force, all the abilities and faculties and energies of the soul are first concentrated, revealed, manifest in the concentrated form in the brain. Which is why the brain is the command and control center of the whole body. Because the brain senses the whole. And all of the individual faculties and abilities of the soul really are all one, they're all part of one dynamic entity, there's one soul. The soul is not a machine made up of parts, a thousand parts. The soul is not a mechanical entity. The soul is a single, undivided, single, singular entity. And it contains in it all of these abilities and faculties. We're not talking about the essence of the soul. The essence of the soul is not even about giving life. The essence of the soul just is. And that the essence of the soul is found in every part of the body equally. That we're not discussing. That's like the essence of God. It's completely transcendent and it's found everywhere. He's above and transcends everything, even the highest realms. And he's present everywhere, even in the lowest realms, in the physical, material realms. That's the essence. We can grasp the essence, we can relate to the essence, we can connect to the essence. Then you have the way each individual ability of the soul, each individual faculty, organ, expresses another, another ability of the soul. The eyes to see, and the ears to hear, and the brain to comprehend, and the heart to feel. But then it's differentiated. Each organ has its unique energy. The, the heart is a vessel for the ability of the soul to feel, to be attracted to, to be repulsed from. The brain is, is the vessel of the ability of the soul to comprehend. But before, before that, the initial manifestation of the soul, the interface between the soul and the body is... Before, the individual, before it goes into the individual organs, it's first concentrated in the brain. In a concentrated form, all the abilities of the soul is concentrated together. And is manifest as one dynamic entity. And that's what the brain senses. The brain is the only organ in the body. Besides being a singular organ, the brain is also the command and control center of the whole body. It senses the soul as a whole entity. And therefore, it coordinates all the different organs of the body and it brings them all together and it connects all of them and it, show, it shows all the different individual organs of the body. And they're all interrelated, interconnected, interlinked. They're really all part of one. So, first the soul manifests itself in the brain. And then from there, the, each individual organ can't receive it directly because it's too intense, it's too powerful. Even this manifestation is too powerful. And then from there, it has to be differentiated like a light from the sun that's outside the sun. It's drawn from the sun, but it leaves the sun. It's outside the sun. A little light, a glimmer, a ray from the sun could illuminate outside of the sun. So too. The Shrina is like the sun. The, 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 this initial manifestation of the soul in the brain is like the sun. It's too intense. It's too powerful. Only a ray, a glimmer of a ray like the ray of the sun leaves the sun and then it's able to manifest itself as a light so too the ability of the soul to comprehend the ability of the soul to feel the ability of the soul to see it's like a glimmer, a ray from the sun that when it leaves the sun it's connected to the sun but it leaves the sun and outside the sun there it's able to illuminate the eye the eye should be able to see and the heart should be able to feel this we all experience in our own personal selves this helps us understand Hashem because Hashem is the soul of the world the whole universe is like the organism just like you have the higher faculties and you have the lower faculties the simpler faculties you have the, you have the feet and you have the brain and you have the heart you have the higher realms higher levels of consciousness spiritual beings angels higher realms and then you have the physical the course the material realms but nevertheless there's one soul there's one God you have one source of life, or one source of being, of existence, or one source of energy. So the essence of God remains completely transcendent. And it's found everywhere. In every one of the hundred trillion cells that we have, each one of them is equally alive, each one of them, the soul is present. That's the essence of the soul. But then you have the soul, and the soul is revealed, the initial revelation of the soul. But in the concentrated form, that's what we call the shkhina Now, he said earlier that the soul first manifests itself in the brain. So what do you mean the Shekhinah? How can you say that the first manifestation of the soul, of, of, of the divine energy, the energy, the life force that creates and sustains the world, is called the shkhina the Shechina is God's manifestation. God's presence. Of course God is everywhere. He asked in the beginning God is everywhere. What do you mean A place is holy? The Shechina is present. What do you mean and the God is present everywhere? What do you mean Certain places the Shechina is present Certain places the Shechina is not present? So he explains that The Shechina means God's manifestation. Of course the soul is everywhere Equally. But where is the manifestation Of the soul? In the brain. So where is the manifestation Of God in a holy place? Where is that manifestation? In just like the brain, what's the equivalent of the brain? The brain here refers to God's brain. What's God's brain? God's wisdom is the Torah. The mitzvot. That's God's brain. That's His will and His mind. So where is the initial manifestation of all of the life of creation, all of the sustenance but in the concentrated form, all of it concentrated together in a very intense way in the Torah. So the whole universe receives its sustenance and its life through the Torah. But on the other hand, Shina refers to Malchus, which is God's speech, God's revelation, the lowest level, not the brain. So how do you reconcile the two? So he explains, that's what we're going to learn today, that the shina itself it's too powerful, it's too intense. But from the Shechina, from the Shechina, from there it's manifest into the brain of the lower world. In other words, the Malchus, the revelation, God's speech, which is the revelation of God. Just like when you speak, you reveal what's going on inside of you. So God's revelation of the higher world becomes the brains of the lower world. The lowest level of the higher worlds becomes the revelation of the lowest world. So what's the source of the brains, of God's mind and God's brain, so to speak? The way it's manifest in each world. The source is the Shekhinah. God's speech, God's communication, God's shechina, God's revelation of the, high, of the higher world. So God's brain, God's revelation for that world, it depends on each world. Each world has a different level of God's brain, so to speak, for that world. How God's mind manifests itself in that world. The world of Bria is the world of Talmud. Then you have world of Mishnah. And then you have the world of the verses, the Pesukah. The Talmud says a person should divide his days. A third of your day you should spend studying Talmud, a third of a day you should spend studying Mishnah, and a third of the day you should spend studying Mikra, the verses. So you have three different categories, three different levels of God's manifestation. It's all the same Torah, it's all the same, it's God's mind. But the way God's mind is expressed and revealed via the Talmud, it's the way God's mind and will is expressed via the Mishnah, and it's the way God's mind and will is expressed via the, the Bible, the Torah. So each of these revelations is a manifestation of a different world. You have the world of creation, so the way God's mind is revealed in the world of creation, that's the Talmud, that's embodied in the Talmud. That's the, God's mind, the way it's revealed in the world of creation. God's mind, the way it's revealed in the world of formation, which is the lower world, is the Mishnah. And God's mind, the way it's revealed in the world of action, that's the Mikra, that's the Pasuk, that's the verse. The stories, the stories of the, of the, the, the verses, the Torah. But what's the source of each of these revelations? The Shechina. So the, the brain, so to speak, The Chachma, the wisdom of the world of manifestation, of of, uh, creation, where does it come from? It comes from the level of speech, of Shechina, of God's revelation of the higher world, the world of emanation. So the world of emanation, the Shechina, becomes manifest, revealed via the world of uh, the mind, so to speak, the wisdom of the world of creation. And the Shekhinah of the world of creation comes manifest in the wisdom and the mind of the world of formation. So each world, has, each world has its center. What he's saying here, each world has its center point. Its focal point. In which the divine energy for that entire world is completely concentrated together, just like in the human soul, the human body and the soul. All the energy and faculties that are manifest in the body are first manifest in a concentrated form in the brain. So too the life force of each universe, of each world, has its focal point. Where all of that life force and substance and existence is concentrated together. As one dynamic whole, as one dynamic entity in the brain, so to speak, of that realm, that's the focal point. That's the center. Every world has a center; it has to be centered. That keeps it all together, just like the soul is centered. The soul is not the Lego blocks of different pieces. We're not a machine. The soul is alive. The soul is one entity, one dynamic, vibrant entity. But there's the center of the soul. Where's the center of the soul first manifest? In the brain. That puts it all together. That brings it all together. That's the point. Every world has a point. Every reality has a point. The point of that plane, of that world. the whole world of creation with all the souls and angels of that world. What's the focal point of that world? That's the brain of that world. Which is the divine brain. The divine mind and divine will as expressed in that world. Which is the world of Talmud. That's the Talmud. That's the Torah as expressed in the world of creation. Then you have a lower world. Lower levels of creatures. Lower levels of angels. Lower levels of souls. The world of formation. What's the center of that world? What's the focal point of that world? The brain of that world? That's Hashem's divine mind is the Torah, the way it's expressed in the Mishnah. So all of the life force of that world is all concentrated and manifest in the mission. Now what's the center of the world of action? What's the brain of the world of action? Hashem's mind as it's manifest in the world of action is the Torah. The Torah is written on a very plain, simple level. It's not simple. The action, the stories in the Torah. So when a Jew studies Torah, when you study the, the, the Torah... When you study the Mishnah and when you've studied the Talmud, you have the whole energy of the whole world in your hand. No wonder why the great Talmudic rabbis and the great mystics and the holy rabbis were able to affect the whole world, change the whole world, create miracles, because the whole world received its sustenance from this concentrated energy as it's manifest in the Torah so when you have the Torah and you understand the Torah and you delve deeply into the Torah you become a master of the Torah a true master of Torah then you become master of the world master of the universe everything is in the Torah this is what comforted King David King David said in chapter 119 in Thilim that your Torah was my song in my days of fright King David had so many challenges what comforted him in his times of challenge the Torah because the Torah was like a song thing because the whole world is dependent on the Torah so by delving deeply in the Torah King David was a master of the world he was in charge he was in control he wasn't afraid He was was not affected by the world. He was the one that affected the whole world. That's the position of the Torah. That's the idea of the Shechina. Of course, God is everywhere. Just like the soul is everywhere. But where is the soul manifest? In the brain. That's the idea of Shechina. Shechina means, where is God's presence? Where is His presence manifest? Revealed. That's in the Torah. But what was the focal point? The focal point was, what was the house of the Torah? Where was the house, the seat of the Torah? Within the Beis HaMikbar? Which part? Mm -hmm. The Holy of Holies. So the Holy of Holies, this is the center of each world. Every world has the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies, this is the the center, where the whole world is centered. This is the focal point. This is the point, the initial manifestation of the divine energy. All of the life and sustenance of that world is all concentrated and manifest together in the Holy of Holies. That's the idea of Holy of Holies. That's why it's Holy of Holies. Because God has manifested. It's intense.
2: It's powerful.
1: A human being can't go into the Holy of Holies. you will die. It's too powerful. The energy is too powerful. It's so only from there. A glimmer of a ray from there then could be drawn from there like the light is drawn from the sun and connected to the sun and it animates each individual and then it becomes light. And then it, so too the life force of each individual entity of that world is drawn from this central point. But this is the central point. This is where God is manifest. So yes, everything exists. Everything has existence. God is bringing everything into existence. What's the point of everything? What's the central point? What's what gives everything meaning and purpose? And what's it all about? And what's it? It's only in the Torah. That's the manifestation of God's will and God's wisdom. Without the Torah, it's all like it's all disconnected. Like you can have many letters, like a puzzle. You have many letters, and it means nothing. It's just one big confusion. When you put it all together now it has meaning when you put the letters together you have a word the meaning, it has meaning and the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts it elevates all of the individual pieces now suddenly they're all part of something larger than themselves each individual piece of a puzzle is an individual piece but only when you put it together now you see the whole picture now it's part of something larger than itself it's connected it has meaning, it has coherence it has clarity that's the holy of holies of every world Because it's only there, that's that's the central point, it brings it all together. Suddenly it becomes one unified whole. And that's the mission of a Jew through Torah and Mitzvot. To connect all of reality, and to connect it to its point, to its center. To give it clarity, to give it meaning. Suddenly it has purpose, it has clarity, it has meaning. It's all connected. Without that, all our human experiences are completely discombobulated and disconnected. The thousands of things we do every day. From the coffee you have in the morning, to, as you go through your daily life, what's the connection between one and the other? There is no connection. But it's only when you connect it to the Holy of Holies, when you connect it to the Torah, when you connect it to the... That's when you connect it to the Shekhinah, and you, then you realize it's oh, there's, oh, there's a point. There's one single point. There's a central point. that brings it all together. connects it all. This is what the Torah is. This is... The Torah unifies... The Torah is the divine manifestation of Hashem, the divine manifestation of the divine energy that creates and sustains everything that exists. And when it's connected to its source, now, it, now it's all interrelated, interconnected, it all becomes one, just like the soul and the body. The soul is not divided into pieces. A piece of me sees, a piece of me hears, a piece of me understands, a piece of me feels, a piece of me walks, a piece of me talks, there's no pieces. We're not pizzas. we're not Lego blocks, we're not machines. We're a soul, there's one entity. But who senses it? Who brings it all together? It's the way the soul is manifest in the brain. That's the Shechina. So where's the Shechina manifest? In the brain. What's the brain? Hashem's will and wisdom. Each world has its own brain, its own center point. What's the center point of the world of creation? The world of Talmud the center point of the world of formation is a world of mission the center point of the world of action is the world of the torah
0: so in the world of the Tal- talmud would be closer to us closer in effect closer to hashem's thought processes than would the torah or the mission
1: it's a very good question seemingly the torah is much greater and the Talmud why is the Talmud so lofty in the world of creation and the Torah the five books of Moses yes. is all the way down in the world of action the, prat, the simple level and the answer is on the contrary as al explains in the, uh, in the fourth part of the Tanya in the letters it's on the contrary something that's greater can come down lower it's like the master the greatest teacher can talk to a five year old child only Einstein could explain the deepest concepts of modern physics to a five-year-old child. The professor in Rutgers. He can only talk to his peers. Anyone less won't understand a word that he's saying. Why? The ultimate reason is because he himself is limited. His understanding is limited. Because he really doesn't understand what he's saying. All the great classics. All the great classics throughout history were written on a ninth grade level. When you read a highfalutin book and nobody could understand. It's because the, reader, the writer doesn't understand. You can't explain, you don't understand. Who can explain it so clearly, so lucidly, that even a five-year-old child can understand? Only the master. Like Rashi, who's called Rabban Yisrael, the master, the teacher of all the Jewish people. Only Rashi can write an explanation for a five-year-old child. As his grandson, the great Rabbi Natam says, says, A hey, commentary in the Talmud, I can also write. I can match my grandfather. But a commentary on the Torah like my grandfather I can't match. Only the greatest genius, the greatest master, that's why the Balshamtav was called the Baal, the master of the good name. Only the Baal Shemtev, the true master of the Torah, can take the secrets of the Torah that were hidden and closeted for thousands of years and articulated that even a simple Jew could grasp and understand and be inspired and get excited. To bring it down, to bring all these lofty concepts. And to bring it down in a practical way. So the Torah that's written on a basic level, like a story for that on the world of Pshat, is simple. Only because the Torah really is the greatest, the highest. That's why it can can express itself in the simplest level. The Talmud can't lower itself down to a lower level. That's why not many people can master the Talmud. It's It's a select group. The Torah is open to everyone. Everyone reads the Torah. Everyone makes a blessing over the Torah. Everyone's called up to the Torah and makes a blessing. The Talmud, no, not everyone is privileged to understand the Talmud. The Mishnah is a little uh, is, is higher. The Mishnah is more accessible than the Talmud. And then you have the world of emanation, which is the world of Kabbalah, which is even a smaller club. Smaller group of people that really can grasp the Kabbalah. But the Pshat. And Hasidut, which is really the core and essence of the Torah, that's open to every Jew. The Tanya is open to every Jew. Accessible to every Jew.
3: At the beginning uh, of the Psukhe Dezemer, for the sake of the union of the Holy One, was to be He with His Shrina, to unite the name Yudke with Vodke in a perfect union in the name of all Israel.
1: Right, we so, discussed this in chapter 41. Right,
3: with His Shfinah. Yes. I don't because the Shekhinah is the God's, the God's
1: manifestation. The Shekhinah is God's speech. It's the most external level of God, so to speak.
3: So where's the union?
1: The union between God's Shekhinah and God's higher levels. And the Shekhinah is can also Klal Yisra. Because Yudke represents the inner inner qualities of God, so to speak. And Vavke is the more manifest qualities of God. And, and uh, when a Jew... A Jew represents the Shekhinah. A Jew, because a Jew represents, when Jews are united, the Jews represents God's manifestation. The Jew is a vessel, a vehicle for God's manifestation. God is manifest in the Torah, and God is manifest. When the entire Jewish people are united, God is manifest in them. And that's why when a Jew does a mitzvah, it's a very critical point. When a Jew does a mitzvah, you have to have in mind, I'm not just doing it for myself. I'm doing it as an ambassador, as an agent, of the entire Jewish people, I am putting on tefillin now, not only for myself, but for the sake of the entire Jewish people. I'm lighting Shabbat candles now, not only for myself, because what a Jew has to think—that's what you're saying, basically. Yichud, we say it once a day, but we have in mind it goes in all the mitzvot that we're going to be doing for the rest of the day. Any mitzvah that we do, a Jew has to have in mind call Kol Yisroel, that I am a representative. I'm not just an individual, a private person, an individual who's happening to do a mitzvah, is happening to serve Hashem, to connect with Hashem. But I am a representative of the entire Jewish people. And when you're united with the entire Jewish people, then you can, the Shechina could become unified with the higher levels of God. And you can create, you can facilitate that, that uh, unity.
2: As this wisdom came down by progressive descent from world to world, the Shina too came down and closed itself in each world. Thus within the supernal wisdom which descends into each world is to be found the Shekhinah of that world.
1: So the Shekhinah of the higher world, which is God's speech and God's manifestation of the higher world, where is that revealed in the brains in the mind of the lower world? So within the supernal wisdom is the Shekhinah. That's where the Shekhinah is present.
2: This is the shrine of the Holy of Holies, which is contained in each world. For example the Shekhinah resides within with the Holy of Holies of each world, this being the divine intelligence enclosed in the in the Torah of each particular world. So also it has been stated in the Zohar and Eretz-Kayim that the Shina, which is Mahud of Atiwa, being the manifestation of the light and vitality of the Blessed Ein So, which illumines the world, therefore, example, since it is a revelation it is called Hashem's speech and the breath of His mouth, as it were, for the purpose of speech is to reveal that which was concealed in thought. As in the case of a person by way of example, speech reveals to the hearers that the speaker is concealed in hidden thought. The same applies above, (laughs) of avatzila, the level at which the light of Ein Sof and the previously concealed vitality becomes manifest. It is called Hashem's speech. For reveals godliness to the world. This level of Shekinah, which is Machot of Adfira.
1: When a person speaks, you're speaking to someone that already exists. It's God's speech that creates something outside of him, so to speak. God's speech creates. So it's only with God's speech that you have the beginning of the manifestation of this life force, of this life energy that sustains and creates... These entities that exist, so to speak, outside of God. So, speech reveals, speech is the beginning of the manifestation of this life force. But the initial manifestation is in a concentrated form. Where is this manifest? In the brains, in the mind of the lower world, of that world. So, the the Shechina, the speech, the Malchus, the level of Malchus, of the world of emanation, is manifest in the mind of the brains of the world of creation. So that's the beginning. That's where all of the life force, sustenance and energy of the world of creation is first manifest, is first revealed. And that's the level, yeah, close itself.
2: Close itself in the shrine of the Holy of Holies, of Bariya, namely the Chafma, Bina and Dat of Bariya. Through the fact that the latter seferit clothed themselves in the mouth of, of, of Berea, the souls and angels which exist in the world of Berea have been created. At this point, the Rebbe Shlutin notes, The Chabad of Berea clothe themselves in the mouth of Berea, together with the mouth of Atzila, which is within them, for, as stated earlier in this chapter from the sources, have been created. The souls and angels of the world of Berea are created beings, unlike the spirit of any particular world, they are not the godliness of their world, but are created from the level of mouth therein.
1: The wisdom, understanding and knowledge, the brains, the mind of the world of creation is part of the Svirot, is part of the divine expression. But the creations of the world of creation, the angels and the souls, they're separate entities. So they are created from the lowest sephira of the world of creation, which is the Malchus. It's the speech of the world of creation. It's the speech of the world of creation that creates these entities of the world of creation. But where does this life force come from? All of this life force comes from the Shina, comes from the divine manifestation of this life force. So it's the divine manifestation as it's manifest in the wisdom, in the brains of the world of creation. And then from there, from there it's revealed through the speech of the world of creation and that brings forth and that creates and sustains all of the individual entities of the world of creation. So it's the combination of the, it originates in the brain, and then, through the speech, through the Malchus, which creates the entities, the angels and the souls of the world of creation. So it's the interplay, the interaction between Malchus and the wisdom, understanding and knowledge. The revelation. The Malchus of the higher world, which is God's speech and God's revelation, where is that manifest in the brains of the lower world? Then the brains of the lower world is revealed to the speech of that world, and and then all the entities come into existence, the angels and the souls. So the angels and the souls of the world of creation cannot receive their sustenance directly from the brains of the world of creation, because it's too intense, it's too powerful. It's this life force all concentrated. They can't receive it directly. It has to come through the speech, through the letters and the words and the speech of the world of creation, Which is differentiated, and there is like a glimmer of a ray. From there, they're able to receive their individual life force. Otherwise, they will be completely nullified. Like we learned last week, like the light of the sun within the sun. If they got their energy directly from the life force as it manifests in the brains of the world of creation, that divine energy is too intense for them. Because it's all the life force, all of existence of the world of creation, all, man, all concentrated together as one single point, as one single entity. If they sense themselves as one single entity, one single point, there would be no differentiation. What enables a differentiation? Speech. Letters, words that are letters, that are separate, that divide. You can have one point in your head, but in speech it comes out in many, many different words. Many, many different letters. The bright person can read a whole thing, but he gets the point. The person is not so bright. He gets one word at a time, one letter at a time, one idea at a time. That's why you get differentiated. You know, you get a lot of words, a lot of letters, which makes breaks it up, breaks it up into many different parts, breaks the idea into many different parts, so the simple person can understand it and can grasp it. But if if all you had was the singular idea manifest, then there would only be one entity. You couldn't have this differentiated multitude of existence. It's only when the same idea comes down into the world of words and letters, which is very verbose, the brain can have one lightning idea, one sharp idea, but by the time you explain it, you have, a whole, you have three volumes. In the, in the person who had originated it, in the brilliant mind who originated the whole thing is one, he had a thought. One moment he had a thought, and he contained the whole thought. But when he has to explain it, articulate himself, it can come out into volumes and volumes, and it takes you years and years until you study one bit at a time, one detail at a time. But the initial genius, he got it, it's one second, it's one flash, it's one idea, one concept. So if this initial concept is manifest, there is no room for differentiation. All there is is one entity. How do you get this multitude and variety and, of existence? So you have to take this concept and then you have to break it down through the world of speech. You have to take this concept that originates in the brain and the mind and then through the world of speech, you break it down one letter at a time. <laughs> like a snail, like a turtle, one, 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 you know, you know, you know, you know the story with the snail and the turtle, <laughs> Two turtles were going, and they and they crashed into each other. And the police came. They asked the snails what happened. He said, "I know it all happened so fast. We just couldn't, <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't we couldn't see what happened." <laughs> you know. So as as it gets lower and lower, it slows down. Time slow like molasses. Time slows down. In the higher world, things happen quickly. When you're meeting people, are very sharp, very quick. You know, it's one, two, three. They get it. When you go on a lower level, you have to... Time slows down. One idea at a time. One, every word, every letter. One idea, another idea, another idea. And you can have, it can have many, many different parts until, you, until you, you learn the whole subject. But the way in its origin, where it originates, it's one idea. You don't have all these words and letters. one sharp concept that contains all of these words and letters and parables but it's all one idea and it's very clear so this world is so dazzling even the initial manifestation of God's light and energy for this world since it's revealed in a, in a, in a concentrated form it's too dazzling there's no room for differentiation all, all you would sense is one idea so where do you get this manifestation of this diversity of thousands and millions and billions and trillions of entities and souls and angels each one has their own life force. Each one, just like in the human body, the eye has its own life force, and the ear has its own life force, and the heart has its own life force. Every organ has its own unique life force. Where do you get such differentiation? If, if all you had was the manifestation, as concentrated energy, you would just have one, one, one entity. You couldn't have all this differentiation. It's only when the light leaves the sun, when you break it down, and the idea, the wisdom comes into the speech, and then it slows down, and you have words, and you have letters then you can have thousands and millions of details and each detail senses itself and its uniqueness and its but the truth is where does it all come from it all comes from one source and that's the mission of a Jew through Torah to connect this diversified world and to bring it back to that dazzling original one point all there is is one point there's one purpose one to bring back that clarity to reconnect and to show its original source. But that's the Torah. That's the mission of the Jew. Who was given the Torah. Who was empowered through the Torah. To connect the dots. To unify the world. To reveal its, its original source. Because we, that's the Shekhinah that's manifest in the Holy of Holies. That's the center of the whole world. Of that world. That's the point that brings it all together.
0: The power behind the Shema, the
1: Echad. That's the Echad. That's the idea of Echad. That's the mission of a Jew. Echad, right? That's the power of the Shema. That's written inside the tfilin To take the leather hide of the animal. Mm-hmm. That's why the first mitzvah we do at Bar Mitzvah is the tfilin because this encaptu- this encapsulates what all the mitzvahs are about. Take the leather hide and Echad to unify it, to bring it back to its source. To reveal that it's all connected, it's all one, it's all this differentiated universe that we live in, especially in this earthy, material, physical world, which is so fragmented, more fragmented than anything else. This is the world of the snail. Everything slows down. Everything is differentiated. Everything is separated and divided. And to reveal that the truth is it all comes from, there's a center point. There's the Holy of Holies. There's a center point. There's a Shechina. There's a unity. There's only one reality. Achad. And that's the mission of a Jew. To reveal Hashem Echad.
2: Everything. The Moshe that we see the Torah then in just this one... well, The one thought from Hashem just the, with the whole Torah. Well,
1: that's what it says. That first Hashem said all the Ten Commandments in one word. And a human being can't receive it. It's, it's too... And then Hashem repeated, started repeating each individual commandment. Mm. That's the idea. Yes, there's the Torah the way the Torah is in one word. It's one point. It's undifferentiated, but it's too dazzling, it's too
2: overwhelming. We can't hear uh, it. I don't
1: know.
2: It's a good question.
1: It's a good question. Well, we were all given, we all heard Hashem speak one word. But it says a human being can't receive it.
2: But they all left
1: their bodies when they get That body. was when Hashem started, even when Hashem started repeating, each one individually. Yeah. That, that's when they left the body.
3: Well, apparently Moshe couldn't uh, understand it. He was up there for 40 days.
1: He was learning. Right. But, uh, but that, that's, that's the origin. That's where it all starts from. There's one point. And then from there, you get the 613, you get all the different. The the, That's the holy of holies. That's the point, the center. You always have to look for that center that brings it all together, that connects it all, that brings it all together. That's why a Jew, that's the holy. A Jew is always looking for. What's the center? And that's really what the brain is looking for. The brain is looking for what's the theme that organizes it all together? What's the central theme? What's the central point? You know, the deeper you go the more you're looking for unity. What's the point that unifies it all? What's the unifying theory? What was Einstein working on until the last day of his life? What's the unifying theory of the universe, which he never figured out? and No one has yet figured it out in, in science. The brain, the mind, is always looking for that underlying unifying theory that brings it all together. Because the brain senses the whole. The brain senses that there is a unifying point. There is one point that brings it all together. There is a connecting point Point. instead of looking at the world as just being diverse and separate that's the whole revolution of modern physics the world, before modern physics everyone thought that the world is a building block a mechanical mechanical building block and, it's a, and most people are stuck in that mechanical viewpoint of this world evolution, it's so outdated it's so mechanical, it's so the exact opposite of the whole geist of what modern physics is teaching us that on the contrary, the world is revolutionized our whole understanding of the world the world is not mechanical, the world is unified is this one point that brings it all together and it's, it's, it's from within and that's the center and that's, but that's the bias of the brain it's a bias that you can't explain logically why would the brain look for the unification force maybe, maybe things should be chaotic who says things should be unified there's no logical explanation for this premise but this is the bias of the brain why? because the brain itself is rooted in the soul, which is greater than the brain. The brain itself is rooted in faith, in the divine. Which tells us, dictates that there's one God, so therefore everything has to be one. It's not logical. It's not a logical position. Maybe the logical position is that everything should be chaos. But the bias of the brain, and this is what the brain seeks. The laws, the rules, the underlying unifying theme that connects it all, that brings it all together. And the deeper you go, the more broader you are, you want to unify everything. This bias itself is divine. It's not logical. It only comes because the the logic is rooted in faith. It's rooted in the divine. And that's why we look, we search for the unity. That's the holy. That's the holy of holies. That's the divine, the holy grail. That's the divine point that we're looking for. We're looking for that unity. What connects it all, what brings it all together. But in order to create a world that's differentiated, individual entities... It's only when the world of wisdom is manifest in the world of speech. Just like when you take that single idea and then you bring it down into speech. And one idea becomes a whole Megillah. A whole long, long, long story. It's all one idea. But by the time it comes into speech and you have to explain it and communicate it. And every point and every word and every letter and every example and every illustration. It's a whole universe.
3: And that's
1: how angels are created. Yes. Now, you can get lost in that universe. You can miss the forest from the tree. You can look at each tree, and and then you miss... But the point is that really it's... The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. That's the holy of holies of every world. To realize that the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. It's not differentiated, diverse, separated, fragmented. It's all one. And everything is interrelated. And everything is interconnected. (laughs) But who is the unifier? That's the mission of the Jew. The Jew who is rooted in the Shekhinah. The Jew is called the Shekhinah. The Knesset Yisrael, the Jewish people. They are the manifestation of Hashem. And through the Torah, we, have, we are empowered to unify the world, to connect the world. That's why the Jew has the ability, the only one in the world who has the ability to unify the whole world. The only ones who can get the UN to agree on anything are the Jews. <laughs> 100% against Israel <laughs> anti-semitism across the board, universal, unique unique, there are many hatreds but there's nothing in the world that comes even close to anti-semitism mm-hmm. that should be so broad based, so universal when the atheist and the religious person and the, the, every different type all agree about the Jew <laughs> The Jew has that ability to unite the world, to connect the world. That's a God-given ability. You have to utilize it in a, in a, whole, in a holy way. If We utilize it in a holy way we can connect the world for a holy purpose. Okay. Do you want to continue?
0: And from there also, from Malchus of Berea, in which is enclosed the Shekinah, Malchus of Atzeruah, which previously had clothed itself in the Chachma bin and Das of the world of Berea, after which the latter are clothed in Malchus of the world of Berea, derives the Talmud that we possess. And as has previously been explained in the name of the Tikkunin, that in the world of Berea, there shine and flow forth the Chachma bin and Das of the Ein Sof, in a powerfully contracted manner, in order that the souls and the angels, which are finite beings, are be able to receive influence from these categories of Chabad. Souls and angels in the world of bria are unable to receive influence from Chabad as it exists in its essential state in absolute Only after Chabad descends in a powerfully contracted manner into Berea are they able to receive its influence.
1: Now he says the Talmud as it's before us, as we possess it, because the Talmud itself, the Torah, is the infinite. The Torah is God's mind and God's wisdom. God and His mind are inseparable. And that's the the wisdom and the mind of the world of emanation. But here he's referring to the Talmud as we possess, the way we study it in this world. The essence of the Torah, any part of the Torah, is the world of emanation. God's mind is really one and inseparable with God himself. It's God's infinite self. But the way the Torah is revealed to us, the way we possess it, the way we study Talmud, the Talmud discusses animals that gore each other, and discusses law, and discusses all, all in our world, in our level, in the human level, that we can understand, then this is the way the Talmud is manifest to the world of creation. Continue, therefore...
0: Here for the Talmud, not the Mishnah, but the Gemara also originates from there, from the world of Berea. For it, the Talmud, is also of the category of Chabad. For the Talmud is, i.e., it consists of the clearly defined reasons of the Halakhot, and the reasons being rational are from the category of Chabad. Right.
1: So it says that in the world of Berea, in the world of creation, as we already learned earlier, the God's mind is manifest. What's predominant, what prevails in the world of creation... It's God's mind. That's why the angels of the world of creation are great intellects. And the souls, in general, are from the world of creation. Because the soul is a very penetrating insight into reality. It has a penetrating understanding of reality even more, more than the angels. Especially the souls of the tzaddikim. So, of the righteous ones. So, this is the world of creation. So, the world of creation is with the world of the mind, the world of the brain, the world of the mind. That's the Talmud. The Talmud gives us the reasoning in depth, analysis, comprehension, understanding the law, not just dry, cut and dry the law. The Mishnah is cut and dry, kosher, not kosher, prohibited, not prohibited, obligated, not obligated, guilty, not guilty. That's more the emotional level is we're going to learn in a moment. The verdict, the, the bottom line, but the understanding behind it, the comprehension of the law, the re- understanding this is manifest in the world of creation. That's the world of understanding. It says Maimonides, Maimonides' soul reached the world. With his brain, he reached the world of, of creation. This profound philosophical and analytical understanding of everything. He understood everything to its depth. The highest level that a human mind could reach. That's the world of creation. That's the manifestation of the world of creation. The world of the brain. Of the mind. You know, pure mind. Pure intellect versus the emotional world and the world of formation that's where God's emotions so to speak are manifest that's the world of the angels the angels are very emotional very you know, they love God or they're in awe of God very emotional the, the, the souls are more intellectual they have a deep profound understanding of God the brain that's yeah. by
3: counterintuitive too, right? We think of the angels as being higher. Ah,
1: it's a very good question. The soul, of, um, the soul of man is greater than the angels. The body of man is lower than the angels. So because we're, the soul is embodied, so because of the body, we need the angels to carry our prayers and to connect us to, on high. But the soul of man is greater than the angels. That's why the angels couldn't handle this world. When angels complain to God, why are you wasting time on men?", God says, I'll send you into this world. And look, look what happened. The fallen angels. They caused the flood. They became totally corrupt. They couldn't handle this world. A human being who has a soul, which is greater than an angel, could handle the temptations and the challenges of this physical world. Keep our head above water. So the soul of man is greater. He continue. And the laws themselves...
3: And the laws themselves stand with derived indigo, the mission derive from the of the motive uh, attributes of the uncle, namely kindness, severity, mercy, and so on, from which originate permission and prohibition. Permission de- deriving from kindness and prohibition from severity. Ritual validity and invalidity, viability and blamelessness. Ritual validity and blamelessness originating from the attribute of kindness, and ritual
1: invalidity and liability originating from the attribute of severity, as explained in the teaching. As we learned earlier in the Tanya, what do you mean when you say something is kosher, or something is not kosher? Something is permitted, and something is forbidden. Look at the word in the Torah heter. Something is permitted is mutar. Something is forbidden, asur. Asur means it's bound up, it's tied. So we learn in chapter 7. Permitted and mutar, it's unbound. So when you say something is kosher, you're looking at it with a kind eye. You're saying that this experience could be elevated. has the ability to be elevated, to be connected to its divine source. When you say something is prohibited, you're looking at it with a very strict eye you're looking at it very strictly very narrowly, very strictly saying no, this has to be rejected this cannot be elevated it's too coarse, it's too crass so when the Torah says something is kosher, it's kind he's saying come you're opening the door, come, come in let's take you in, let's bring you in when you say something is prohibited you're slamming the door close the door, lock the door you're not allowed in, prohibited Poison. stay away That's how you deal with it, by rejecting it, by turning away from it. Because Torah is objective. Torah is not, there's no Robin Hoods in Judaism. No matter what your subjective emotions, it doesn't make something, you can't kosher a pig. No matter how noble your intentions are. Torah says it's not kosher, it's not kosher. No ifs, maybes, buts, whens, we're, you know, we we can't be smarter than God. God says no is no. God knows us, he knows our circumstances, and he says no. No is no. So it, it's objectively, Torah says, it's prohibited. Torah says something is mutar, Torah says. All it means, it's okay, it's culture it has the ability to be elevated. So that's looking at it with a kind eye. So this is more an emotional attribute. And it can even be emotions of the brain. You know, when a judge has to make a decision, guilty and not guilty. The, the judge is not emotional he's not allowed to be emotional otherwise he can't be a judge he has to be objective but the judge in his mind has to make an emotion, a judgment an emotional judgment um, am I leaning towards the position of being lenient or am I leaning towards the position of being strict so that's within the brain the brain already makes already a judgment call right, left, liberal, conservative Kindness or strictness. I'm going to be tough, I'm going to be gentle. So this is more of an emotional call. A judgment. So that's the world of the Mishnah. The world of the Mishnah is just the law. Yes, no. Culture, not culture. Guilty, not guilty. Open the door, slam the door. Bring in or reject. Throw out. So that's the world of formation that's the Mishnah that's the Torah the way it's manifest in the Mishnah the law very clear the Mishnah gives the law succinctly doesn't go into depth doesn't give the analysis and explain just this is the law this is what it is yes no guilty not guilty kosher not kosher obligated not obligated pure impure that's the Mishnah the Talmud already takes every word of the Mishnah and delves in depth so let me understand I want to understand this what's the reasoning behind this how do you compare this law to that law? What's the difference in this law and that law? Why here we say this? This is already the brain. This is already the mind. This is the way the Torah is manifest. God's will and wisdom is manifest in the world of creation. The Torah, the way we study the Talmud. In all its depth, with all its commentaries. And usually it's the person who has a mind really becomes the master of the Talmud. You have to have a brain. It's understanding. it, Because studying Torah, the mitzvah of studying Torah is not just to study what the rabbi said. That's a nice historical fact, that rabbi so-and-so said so-and-so, in the year of so-and-so. That's not called studying Torah. It's a history class. Studying Torah means, you have to understand it. It has to make sense to you. Your mind has to engage your mind. When you learn a question, it has to become your question. And when you learn an answer, it has to become your answer. So, honest learning is learning it until your mind masters it. Your mind becomes engaged. You really understand it. You're not just parroting words, mouthing words. Most people learn, they're just parroting words, mouthing words. He asked a question, a no question. He asked the answer, an answer. You know, it's like, it's like you're a parrot. You're just repeating. He said, he said. But do, you, what do, you, what do you understand it? Does it make sense to you? Is it a question to you? Anything trouble you here? Does anything bother you here? So it's, it engages the mind. Studying, really studying Talmud is really engaging your mind. That's the world of, of creation. Studying the mission, is a judgment call. Yes, no. So that's the world of, of formation. Okay, we'll open the last few minutes for questions. Next week we'll, continue, we'll finish the chapter, please, God.
0: In this world, Person who quotes somebody and doesn't give credit for the quotation is called a plagiarist. But a Jew who learns something from the Alta Rebbe and then makes it his own is not considered one because he's now adopted that idea as his own. He understands
1: it. Right. Very good. Because it's a very interesting question. It says in Ethics of Our Fathers that a person should always. Repeat the source, where you heard it from. If you say the source, where you heard it from, we learn from uh, Esther. Esther said in the name of Mardukai, and she brought redemption. So when you repeat the source, so when you say, I learned this, you should say, so-and-so said it. Now rabbi once said, told the students, listen, if you want to say what I say, but in your own name, Fine. But don't say what you say in my name. <laughs> don't put your craziness in my name. You don't, to, you don't want to quote my name. You want to pretend as if you came up with this brilliant idea. Fine, I forgive you. But don't, 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 don't say your narrow-minded ideas and use my name. You know. But on one hand, we find that some rabbis would always repeat. Always repeat the source. Where they learned it, where they heard it, who said it and other times they wouldn't other times they wouldn't say the source what's the difference? so the Rebbe explained because if they studied the matter to such an extent that it became their thing like, their, like when you digest food it becomes your blood it's not a foreign thing, it's me so when you understand it and that's the ultimate level of learning Torah when you understand it till it becomes your your question you can't sleep at night it disturbs you and then when you get the answer, ah, you jump from joy. Oh, it makes sense to me. I understand it now. Wow, it's, it's, it really clarified it. Then it's yours. It become part of you. Then you don't have to say a quote. You're not quoting. It's you. But if you're learning Torah, you can understand it, but it's not your question. It's not your answer. You're just repeating. You didn't sweat over it. You didn't break your head over it. You didn't. Your head didn't swell over it. You didn't like... You didn't, like, really bust your chops to understand it. You're just repeating, okay, a nice concept, it makes sense. Then you have to repeat who said it, because it's not yours. You know, you're just transmitting it, that it's not really yours. You don't own it.
0: Well, didn't didn't that occurrence happen with the Baal with regard to the, the issue from the Midrash, about God's Word and the firmament making it continue? continue is be there all the time. But actually expounded on the idea. Right.
1: It's in the Mish it's in the medrash, right. Mm-hmm. We said the of um, Al Actually this thought is expressed by the rabbis in the very first uh, Psalm. It says Ashri Ish um, praiseworthy is the person. did not go in the steps of the wicked. etc. And then he says, all he desired was to study Hashem's Torah, the Torah of Hashem. And then he says, U say, in his own Torah, he toils day and night. At the beginning of the verse says he desired the Torah of Hashem. At the end of the same verse, or the same sentence, he says, and in, in his own Torah, he toils day and night. Rabbis say, in the beginning, it's the Torah of Hashem. He desires, he yearns to study Torah. Hashem's Torah. Well, after he studies it and he toils, then he makes it his own. It's his Torah. That's why the law states a king cannot forgive in his honor. A king does not have the right to forgive in his honor. Let's say a king is modest. Don't stand up for me. I don't care, I don't care about these things. I'm not into honor. He doesn't have a right to, Legally. Because it's not about him. You don't own it. You don't own your position. You are—you embody. You represent the divine royalty. A person has to stand up in front of the king because of the position, not you. The position that he holds. So the king has no right to forgive in his honor. So on the Pesach Seder, when the people are sitting at the Seder with the king, they're not allowed to lean over. It's a disrespect to the king. Even if the king says, "I don't mind," what do I care? It's not yours to give up. A Torah scholar, however, is allowed to forgive his honor. A Torah scholar with his students, if he wants, he can forgive the honor. He can say, "Go ahead." Why? Because the honor you give to a Torah scholar is because of his Torah. The Torah he owns the Torah. He mastered it's his Torah. So he has a right to forgive him the honor. So that's the ultimate level of learning Torah. He really. Grasp it, understand it, master it. Becomes you. Becomes you. It's in your blood. It's alive for you. It comes alive for you. It, it engages your mind, and it completely engages you, personally. You engage it, and it engages you. You're completely immersed in the Torah, head and toe. Every part of you is immersed in the Torah. That's the sign of a true Torah scholar. Someone who really is immersed in the Torah. The Torah comes alive for him living with it. His mind is really trying to understand it and grasp it and and penetrate it to its core and understand it in its depth, and honestly understand it.
0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.